Well, I thought something that we could all use right now is a dose of beauty. And so today we're starting a new series entitled Beauty Amidst Adversity. And you're all invited to be a part of it. Each week we're going to present a theme and invite you to submit works of art. It could be a photo. It could be a poem. It could be a drawing, a painting. It could be a song, maybe even a dance. And to submit those either by using the hashtag Beauty Solano Church or you can submit them to us via email, emailing terry at solanochurch.org. We already saw some of the beautiful submissions we had from this first week. The theme was Revelation 4 and 5, which ties into our passage and our study today. Um, and then at the end of the service, I'm going to be giving you the theme for this coming week. And I hope you'll really participate. Maybe use this as a way to kind of dig into the way in which God works through beauty to connect you to himself. Um, I know some of us come kind of more from the engineering side, and some of us have that really artistic side. Some of us are both. I don't want to make a bifurcation there that doesn't exist for some of us. Um, we all need some element of it, and maybe this is a way for you to express your relationship with God. And we want to share it. We want to be a part of it this week. So uh, get those submissions in. Again, the theme's going to come at the end of this, sermon, of this uh, worship service today. So Janet Martin Soskasi writes this, in our stammering after a transcendent God, we speak, for the most part, metaphorically or not at all. In our stammering after a transcendent God, we must speak, for the most part, metaphorically or not at all. It's kind of a fancy way of saying that we learn about the God that we can't see through the things that we can see. We learn about the God that we can't see through the things that we can't see. Jesus told stories. He told stories of fields and buildings and treasures and coins and pearls and sheep. And through those kinds of stories, he opened up a window for us to understand who God is. I used to think it was beautiful coincidence that so many of the element, elements of the natural world could show us something about God. And then my view morphed into something much stronger. It's, it's not a coincidence that the elements of the natural world can show us uh, about God. Uh, in the Christian understanding, that's their very purpose. Their very purpose is to show us about God. God made the entire universe to reveal to us the nature of who he is, Romans 1.20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. The entire universe provides the mental furniture for us to begin to understand who Jesus is, who God is. There's something about a bee that helps us to know who God is. There's something about the ocean that helps us understand who God is. There's something about a sunrise that helps us to know about God. There's something about a sunset. There's something about a mountain. There's something about a tree. There's something about a field. There's something about the flowers. There's something about a dog that helps us to know who God is. I take it on faith that there's even something about a cat that helps us to know who God is. In fact, um, if you have an idea, uh, go ahead and put that in the chat box. You'll, you'll be able to teach me and instruct me a little bit this morning. We come to know who God is um, by the things that he has made in part. 
I don't think we can talk about beauty without understanding this larger framework of creation. Our subject today is the beauty of God. And I'm saying that even though we are surrounded by beautiful things, things that are natural and things that God, that people have made using the natural things, things that sometimes capture our hearts and and make us ache because of their beauty. Even though we're surrounded by things like that, the most beautiful thing is the Lord. The most beautiful thing, the ultimate beauty is God himself. And that's because God made beauty. Beauty is a subset of creation. God invented beauty. And it's intended, as we saw in Romans 1.20, to be one of the markers, one of the arrows that points to the nature and the character of God. And in fact, we find it's difficult to explain the existence of beauty in the universe apart from the existence of God. And David seems to understand, I'm talking about uh, King David from the Old Testament, seems to understand that God is the ultimate beauty when he writes this psalm, which is our text for this morning, Psalm 27, in particular, verse 4. David writes, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. A couple things that can be said about beauty this morning. And the first one is that beauty is a magnet drawing you close to the Lord. Let's, Let's imagine David in that moment he's describing in Psalm 27 where he's in the temple. He's, he was actually in a tent because you remember the, the temple made out of stone uh, didn't appear until after David. Solomon, uh, his son, stewarded the process of building that temple. So David was in a tent, but they referred to it as the temple. Um, and if it was a tent that was like the one that Moses created, then it looked something like this. Uh, Very beautiful, especially if you can imagine in that day, although I would imagine since this tent had to be taken down and moved, there was probably a more permanent one now for David, which must have been, I would imagine, even quite a bit more grand than this particular tent that we we know about from the Old Testament. Um, Eventually, this tent would become uh, the first temple. And then it would become the second temple. And then uh, it becomes a picture of what heaven is like. And all of the artifacts in it speak to the nature of God. They, they stammer, in a sense, after the attributes and the nature of who God is. And so there's David. He's in the middle of this temple. And there's this tremendous swirl of activity that's going on around him. If you read the rest of the psalm, and, and, and the call to worship this morning contained some element of this, it describes how David is facing all kinds of adversaries and armies and war and attack. Uh, and, and in the middle of this swirl, um, he breaks off and he goes into the temple. And it's like he just, all he wants to do in the temple is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's the one thing that matters to David. Very strong statement that he writes in this psalm. One thing have I asked of the Lord. One thing. One thing. It's, it's the center of his His desire is to be in the presence of God and to gaze upon 
the beauty of God. It's the only thing that matters to him right now. Amidst the swirl of chaos, the threats, the uncertainty, he says, let me gaze on the beauty of the Lord. So there he is in the cool of the tent amidst the artistic objects created with the precise purpose of helping us to, in a sense, stammer, to try to understand who God is. And and surely David is in there. Um, We know him to be one who meditated deeply on the scripture. And so uh, undoubtedly he's thinking or he's even actually reading in his mind the things about the the attributes of God and and who who God is. And I, I want you to step back for just a brief moment and ask this question, what's happening in that moment when David gazes on the beauty of the Lord? What, what goes on, even to step back, what goes on in the person who is beholding beauty? What goes on in the person who is beholding beauty? When I was in college, I spent a year studying in Madrid, Spain, and I was blessed to take an entire class in the Prado Museum, which is the greatest museum in the world. Uh, I know some would argue with that, but I love the Prado Museum. And I developed a taste for that moment when you stare into a painting and you find yourself captivated by what it portrays. The things that you value, the things that you cherish, the experiences um, that you have had in your life are given life in this painting. And there's this incredible sort of magnetic connection that takes place as you stand before this work of art, this painting, and, and, and your synapses are firing, and sometimes your heart even starts beating, and it's, it's just, it's difficult to describe what happens inside of us when we place ourselves in front of true beauty. Now, I know some of you don't have that experience with painting, and, and I totally get that, but there's something in your life that you've been in front of that has caused that sort of internal sense of being captivated, of longing, of seeking after. There's a magnetic pull between what's inside of you and this thing that is outside of you. I remember in the Prado, and then I had the blessing to go back and to go to other museums, and when I have that experience, I want to buy that painting, right, a copy of it, and I want to put it on my wall in my house so that I can repeat that experience of gazing into the beauty, of beholding the beauty, and having that response, that magnetic attraction to it. There is something in you that is magnetically drawn to the excellencies, uh, the beauties, the attributes, the qualities, the forms, and here we are in this realm of stammering of God because you are made in the image of God. You like the same things that God is because he made you in his image. And so when you truly behold the attributes of God, there is something inside of you that aches and longs to draw near. God is everything that is desirable. There's a lock in your heart, and God himself is the key. And and David understood this. He elsewhere says, Psalm 73, verse 25, 
Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. As amazing as earth is, right? There is nothing on it that satisfies in the ultimate sense that God satisfies. And and this is kind of mind-boggling. As amazing as heaven must be, right? With all of its perfection and the absence of sin and the glory and the beauty, as amazing as heaven is, there is nothing in it that compares to the actual presence of God. That's what makes heaven heaven, ultimately, is because it is the place where God is most fully manifest in all of his beauty. See, God's embedded in us this this magnet, um, and it, it looks for beauty, and he's the fulfillment. He's the genesis and the fulfillment of that longing and that search, and that's why there can be that sort of captivating ache and longing when we finally behold the goodness of God. And it's one of the principal ways that God pulls us into relationship with himself is when we have that moment of magnetic attraction to the qualities and the attributes and the characteristics that we recognize are perfect. We see them in the person of God, and we are drawn to them. We recognize that he is, in fact, the genesis. That's the very, the very creation of all beauty, and then the fulfillment of uh, all that is beautiful and all of the longings that we have in ourselves. And so beauty is a magnet drawing you close to the Lord. And, and, and when you experience the moment like David is describing in Psalm 27 here, you, you cry out, I, you know, God, I want you. That, Lord, I need you in my life. Uh, I want you. You're the one thing more important than the swirl of activity and uncertainty and fear and confusion that, that, that is moving around me. What I need is to gaze into the beauty of the Lord. Well, the process of doing that is quite simple, actually. David shows us in this psalm, He calls us to sit before the beauty of the Lord. If all this is true, if we ought to pursue the Lord and his beauty, then this part's relatively simple. First, make it your singular focus. However crazy the world gets, uh, it's probably not as crazy um, for you, even as it was for King David, Um, looking at the Psalms and looking at this particular Psalm and what he was in the midst of. Now, it might be close in this moment of pandemic, but whatever it is that's swirling around you, your main purpose in life is to draw close to God. It's the one thing that matters. What is your life about? Your life is about knowing God. David shows us how that happens um, in the text, and, and we're putting that back up again. 
there's a passive element. He says, I ask of the Lord. So there's an element to this beholding the beauty of God in which we are dependent upon God meeting us in that space to reveal himself to us. And I just want to invite you, and, and, and there may be some of you who are exploring the things of God. Um, maybe you're curious this morning. And one of the most beautiful prayers that you can pray at the outset of a pursuit of God, a, a season of inquiry, is simply to say, God, would you reveal yourself to me? And then to present yourself to God with a kind of an, an openness. And then to sort of raise the antenna and begin to look for how God might be presenting himself to you through the scriptures in times of prayer, in the community of faith as we worship together. These are the means by which we come to understand who God is. And, and so what a beautiful question for you to ask of God this morning in prayer. God, would you reveal yourself to me? One thing I ask of the Lord. And this goes for every single one of us. You may be this morning in a moment of extreme difficulty and challenge as a result of the pandemic. You may be uh, under some severe pressure. You may be weary, exhausted, tired, and you're thinking to yourself, I somehow got to figure out how to solve all this. And my invitation to you this morning is simply to stop and to ask of the Lord, would you reveal yourself to me? This is the one thing I seek. So there's a passive element. We need God to come to us. And, and the beautiful message of the scripture is that God will come to us as we invite him, as we ask. But there's also an active side to it. That will I seek after. One thing I ask of the Lord that will I seek after. And, and, and that gives us the active side. David shows us that, that there's an element in this process of beholding the beauty of God that uh, it requires us to pursue God, to try to understand God, to get to know God. Uh, and that's the active side. So it's both the God revealing himself to us and it's us pursuing. It's a, it's a both and. It's, it's not an either or. One of my favorite illustrations for discipleship generally is the sailing illustration. Some of you will have heard me share this before. If you want to cross the ocean and you set out on a boat and you try to row, in other words, you're trying to do it entirely in your own strength, you'll probably perish midway across the ocean because you don't have the strength to get all the way across. If, on the other hand, you don't use strength and you just throw yourself to the winds and you get in the boat and you just let it drift, you'll probably also perish because you'll be wandering around in the ocean just tossed back and forth. But if you get in the boat and you hoist a sail, which requires some participation on your part, that's, what, that's a reasonable work you can do. You can hoist the sail. But then you wait for the blowing of the wind, which is something you can't control that is from without side of you. And you wait and you capture in those sails 
the blowing of the wind. And I just love that imagery as we think about the relationship between our active participation and our, our passive waiting as we grow in our relationship with God. There are things we can do. We can't make the wind blow, but we can set out the sail so we can catch the wind as it comes. And David gives us a kind of a picture. I ask of the Lord. I wait for him to blow the wind. I wait for him to come and meet me. But I also do what I can do. I seek the Lord. And, and, and that going into the temple um, is, in a way, the hoisting of the sail for David. He's saying, I'm, I'm presenting myself before you that you might blow into my heart and reveal yourself to me. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful picture of David being in the temple. And then it says there's, there, he meditates. So there's an element of meditation and compl- com- uh, contemplation in, in this process of beholding the beauty of God as well. To experience the beauty of God, we need to stop. We need to meditate. And meditation is suggested in this word, dwell. And I, want, I don't want you to think that, that David was just, like he just picked up camp and just started living in there where all the problems are swirling around him. He just stayed in the temple hiding himself from all the issues. That's not the picture we have of David at all. He was incredibly action-oriented. He, he met the challenges of life. And I would submit to you part of why he was able to meet those challenges is because he did spend so much time in the temple, as it were, uh, beholding the glory of God. Um, spending time with God um, is, doesn't make us less active. It doesn't make us passive people. What it does is it brings laser focus and rich motivation to the activity that God is setting us out to do. Very important distinction. And so there he is. He's meditating. He's compl- uh, contemplating. Um, he's inquiring. And those words can be translated um, seeking or looking for. One day in the Prado Museum with my class, we looked up and there was the comedian Steve Martin uh, in the Prado Museum. And he was there just like the rest of us to look at the art in the museum. Uh, and this is a class filled with uh, you know, college students and everybody recognized who he was. And so we started chasing him around the Prado Museum. Um, And every time he tried to pause and look at a painting, this whole group of like 20, 30 college students would come puffing around the corner, and he would have this look of fear, you know, the paparazzi is upon him, and he would have to rush away and go to the next painting. And the poor guy never had the opportunity to sit and to meditate before those beautiful paintings in the Prado Museum. I still feel tremendous guilt for ruining Steve Martin's trip to the Prado on that day. Uh, But, you know, this is what happens to us so often when we try to behold the beauty of the Lord. Um, Something crashes in. Just about anything can be used to pull our attention away from this important work, this, this one thing kind of work that's so critical to who we are, right? And I just want to say, we, we need to embrace the mindset of David. One thing I ask for, you know, this is the number one thing. Whatever you have to do, whatever drastic measures you have to take to get before the Lord, to behold the beauty of the Lord, 
those measures you need to take, especially in a moment like this when there's so much swirling around us and what we need most is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. So David says, ask of God, passive, we need God to move. Seek God, the active side, and then spend time with God. Clear aside the time. If, if you need to go to bed earlier so you can get up earlier, so you can have the quiet that's going to enable you to be with God. If you need to stay up later so that you can have the quiet and get up later, whatever you need to do to get that quiet time to dwell in the house of the Lord just for, for a bit, to have your entire vision of life and what it's all about refined by the qualities and the attributes of a perfect and beautiful God. That's what you need to do. That is your one thing. Your one thing is to know God. And the beauty of God serves as a magnet that draws you deeper into relationship with him. So thankful, so thankful for this magnet. One last thing. There is one threat to all this, and that is our ability to perceive true beauty. Um, our ability to perceive true beauty can become corrupted. In fact, that's the story we find at the very beginning of the Bible, and it then becomes the story of all of us that that our receptors, our vision, gets corrupted by sin. And the first instance is here in Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman, this is in the Garden of Eden, saw that the tree was good for food, right? We're in the realm of beauty here, and even more so in this next phrase, and that it was a delight to the eyes. It was beautiful. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he embraced and he ate. How are we going to know God if our ability to perceive beauty is corrupted? That's a very important question in the midst of all this. And, and this is where the story of God takes a remarkable turn. God put aside the beauty that was his in heaven, took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, and lived amidst what can only be described as the ugliness of this world. There's a lot of beauty, but there's also a lot of ugliness in the world because of sin. And, and God took on flesh and he entered in to all of that. Um, and the purpose of his doing so um, was to take into himself, in fact, all of the ugliness of the world, which sin is, and to bear it into himself for the purpose of clarifying our vision of God. Because in doing so, he removes sin. Let me share with you an important verse in this light. This comes from Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah writes, 
speaking of the suffering servant who, this is an early prophecy of the life of Jesus. Amazing how these things happen hundreds of years before Jesus uh, in the New Testament entered in. Said he, the suffering servant who is Jesus, had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. See, these are words describing the pathway that God would take in the person of Jesus Christ to set aside the beauty of heaven, to enter in to the ugliness of this world, to take all of that ugliness onto himself. And why did he do that? That's the question. Why did God do that? And the answer is because he wanted to adorn his bride, the church, with beauty. He wanted to give his people, the ability to perceive true beauty. And he wanted to secure for them a home, which is heaven, of eternal beauty. God set aside the beauty, took on the not beauty to make us beautiful and to enable us to see his beauty. So God, we want our eyes to be clarified this morning by the forgiveness of sin, which comes through Jesus Christ. Because it is our deep longing. We want to see, we love to see beauty. We want to see what is most beautiful. And we know that you are ultimate beauty. And so we present ourselves to you from whatever experiences we might be gathered this morning together. Maybe this is new. Maybe it's our first time on a live stream like this or, or sort of being a part of a church. Maybe it's our first time. We present ourselves to you. Maybe it's our 1,000th time. We present ourselves to you. And we say to you one thing I ask This is what I seek. I want to dwell. I want to inquire, meditate. Because I understand that in the deepest recesses of my being, my ultimate longings will be met in the Lord. And I really need that right now because the world is challenging. I need a dose of beauty in my life to enable me to move through the difficulties and the struggles that we're all facing. I want to have that heavenly vision to carry me through my earthly brokenness. So God, we present ourselves to you. We ask, we seek, we hoist that sail and we wait for the wind to come and blow us to deeper relationship with you. And we we long for that moment of captivation when all that you've placed in us because we're made in your image cries out and and meets its match in you and says, 
you, Lord. I want you. You're everything. I long for you. I just want to gaze at you. We're thankful for the example of David, but we know you didn't want us just to be wowed by David. You want us to be following in his footsteps. And so this week, would you clear aside that space? Would you prick our hearts and give us a yearning to move us into deeper relationship with you, to trust that as we give you our hearts and our time, uh, our gaze, as we dwell with you, that anything we think we might have lost, you will recuperate by filling us with clarity of vision and direction and insight and, and wisdom for life. And thank you this morning that we can celebrate your willingness to lay aside that heavenly beauty, to take up the ugliness of this world, to take on sin, to bear it on your shoulders in Christ on the cross, that you might cleanse us from sin and make your bride beautiful, as it were. And and God, we want to come to you this morning in faith and say, yes, that work that you've done in Christ is a work for me to clarify my vision, to cleanse me of my sin, to awaken me to your beauty, that I might know you and walk with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.